thank you because you loved us. Before we loved you, while we were yet your enemies, Jesus, you died in our place. That we would be able to have this privilege this morning, Lord God, to enter into your presence. Not because we are so good or we are so righteous, but because you are so good, because you are so righteous, because your blood has washed us, because your blood has made a living way for us, because we are new creations in you, Lord God, because you who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become your righteousness, God. Oh, Jesus, we thank you for that great exchange. chapter 16, beginning in verse 13, when you got to say so, and the word of the Lord declares, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I am the son of man? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for your truth. We thank you because you are gracious and kind to us. And this morning, Lord God, we all humble our hearts before you, asking you, dear God, give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying to your church. God, give us ears to hear what you are specifically saying to us here as we have gathered today, Lord God. We thank you so much because you love us. And we just humble our hearts before you, God, asking you that you would help us not to be hearers of your word alone, but doers. We thank you for this in Jesus' mighty name. Someone said, you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. had a couple of weeks off, three weeks off from preaching, glory to God, and um, so I'm going to make up today. I normally preach for an hour, right? So it'll be about three hours, glory to Jesus, hallelujah. <laughs> Some of y'all are like, oh, I came the wrong Sunday, praise the name of Jesus. I'm just joking. I don't know how long I'm going to preach, but I'll preach as long as I need to, amen? But I do thank the pastors, and can you give the Lord another hand of praise for the pastors as they shared God's heart, their hearts with us? And it was an amazing time. Um, during that time of fasting and prayer, as we were seeking the Lord, um, God began to deal with my heart. And so today I'm going to begin a new series, and that series is entitled Growing Pains. Say Growing Pains. And the reason why that's important for us to understand or to hear that is because when you grow, there's always some kind of pain. Whenever there's transition, there is some kind of pain. There's some stretching that takes place. There's some difficulty that takes place, and we're growing. And so as we began in the, in the month of January, we were speaking specifically about being on mission. And I don't want to sway from that particular topic because I believe that that is vital for us as a people to maintain a focus on the mission that Jesus has given us. 
And so we come to this portion of scripture in the book of Matthew chapter 16. And the reason why we're here is because I want to deal with this particular portion of scripture as a premise or as a, as a foundation for the next four weeks. And what I want to talk to you about today is planning to grow. Say planning to grow. When Jesus is speaking here, this is the first time within the New Testament that Jesus uses the word church. Say word church. Church, that word is ecclesia or the ones who are called out. Called out ones. Called out of what? Called out of darkness. Those who have been called out of sin, those, have been, who, those who have been called out of the eternal separation from God in hell, that's what we're being called out of. For those of you that are in this place that know Jesus, you've experienced that calling. You know what it is to be in a place of darkness, in a place of deception, in a place where you do not know really what life is all about. And you, you might have thought you knew what it was all about, and then you met Jesus. Then you heard that call, and when you heard that call, something took place radically inside of your life, and you realized that as good as you thought you were, you realized that you weren't good enough. You realized that as much as you thought you had everything together, it was all messed up. You realized that as much as you thought you knew exactly what your life was about, you realized, wait a second, I thought I had it figured out, but Jesus had something totally different. And so when we're called out, we are called out of ourselves, literally called into Christ. Very important that we understand that because there are two groups of people in here, the ones that have responded to that call and the ones that God is calling today. See, there, there, there are the ones that are in here that you have responded to Jesus. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Savior. Jesus is God of your life. And then there are others of you in this place, you're kind of on the fence. And you don't know, you, you might want to jump in, but you're not totally sure. If you want to let go of your life and take up your cross, mm-hmm. That's that great exchange that has to take place. And then there are others of you that you are nowhere near the fence. You're like way over there in left field somewhere. You're like an outfielder, right? You're just out there. You're just doing your own thing. You're like, okay, whatever. Maybe, hope, maybe, maybe the ball will get hit this way, but hopefully they ain't got no good batters. Well, glory to God, Jesus is up to bat, and so I hope you're ready to catch. You see, the, the, the truth of the matter is, when Jesus is speaking here, he begins to talk to his disciples, and he asks them this question. He says, who do men say that I am? So he asks them a question. He says, what is everybody around you saying? What, is, what are the crowds saying about me? It's an important question to know what the people are speaking about Jesus. It's important for you to think about that. The people that you hang around with, I want you to think about that question for a moment. Who do they say Jesus is? The people that you're around, because the reason why that's important is because what they say about Jesus many times is a direct reflection of what you believe about Jesus. See, when you have people around you saying that, oh, the Bible is fallible, the Bible has been translated so many times and it's all messed up, and that Jesus in there, we really can't trust him. You know what you start to do? You start to believe that mess. When you get around people, you may have been raised up in a particular religion that thought that Jesus was a prophet, but he was not God the Son. And so you think he's someone you should listen to for some direction in life, but he's not the one that you come to for salvation alone. You see, when you listen to the people around you, you really start to know, where, what, what, what do I believe in? Why do I believe what I believe? Why, why, why is it that I want to lift my hands in worship and I feel something going on, but there's something else pulling me? And it's because of those voices around us. And so Jesus comes to his disciples and he says to them, he says, what is it that they say about me? And so they say, well, some people say you're John the Baptist resurrected. Some people say that you are a prophet. Some people say this or that. And he said, okay, that's cool. I got all what they say, but what do you say? And I want you to get this. That is the most important question that you can ever be asked. That is the most, listen, in every situation that you go through, you need to ask yourself that situation. Who do I say Jesus is right now? Did you hear me? Every situation that I face, everything that I go through, I need to continuously ask myself this question. Who do I say Jesus is? When I'm battling against sickness, who do I say Jesus is? Is he the great physician? Even when he doesn't heal me. Is he still the healer, even when he doesn't do it? When I'm going through financial situation and crisis is my life, is he still the God, my provider? Is he still the one that I believe that he is going to give me what he says and he's going to provide the way? Do I believe that? Or do I believe all of the other reports around me? This is an important question. 
But foundationally, most important is this, is not just when you're going through sickness, not just when you're going through financial situation, not just when you're going through difficulty in life, but I want you to think about this. Who do you say Jesus is to you as far as everything in your life? Is he God or is something else God? Is he Lord or is something else Lord? And listen, you don't have to go and get crazy. All you got to do is just check out what you spend the most time with, and that will tell you most of the time what is your Lord. I know someone's thinking, well, Bishop, you know, I spend eight hours a day at work, and does that mean work is my God? I'm not saying that. Let's not be that ignorant. But for some of you that spend extra time in your workplace, yeah, work can be your God. Uh-huh, hallelujah. So, yes, I, I am saying that, glory to God. But what I'm saying is, where is your devotion? That will answer the question, who do you say Jesus is? Because here's the thing that we got to get. Well, we have to understand that when Jesus is asking this question, and when, and, when, and, and when Peter opens his mouth, and mind you, Peter is not the first person to declare that Jesus is the Christ. He is not the first person to declare that Jesus is the Son of God. But because of this moment, this one is standing out for us because Jesus is going to them, asking them, what do you say? And I want you to sense this in your heart. Jesus asking you, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Because that is going to dictate a whole bunch of things. Is Jesus the only way to salvation? This is what it's saying. For us to understand who Jesus is, we got to understand who we are. So that means that we need to understand that we cannot save ourselves. Say, I can't save myself. I'm not good enough to save myself. For me to understand that Jesus is the Christ, meaning Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus is the Savior of the world, that means that I have to come to terms with this reality, that I am not good enough to save myself, that I can never be good enough to do enough to earn my way into heaven. I have got to come to that realization because I really can't say, you are the Christ, the Son of God, if I think I can save myself. I really cannot say that if I think that I can do enough good works to make it into heaven. I really can't say that if I say, well, you know what, I, 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 I'll come to church, I'll pray maybe, I might read my Bible, but, I, you know, really Jesus is more like, uh, he, he's more like the cherry on top of my Sunday life. <laughs> Glory to God. And this is what I mean by that. Paul Walsh, I think he was the one that quoted it. I don't know. Someone sent it to me or I read it on Twitter. I don't know. But basically it was this. It was that Jesus cannot just be the cherry on top of your good little life. Jesus needs to be the source of your life. Not just, not just a decoration. The picture was of a Sunday. Well, with a Sunday, do you need a cherry? Does the cherry make the Sunday in some people's opinion? But can I tell you this? You can have a Sunday without a cherry. Hello, somebody. The cherry, you, you, you can have a Sunday with all kind of other stuff up in there. And the bottom line is Jesus needs to be the source, not just the decoration. Not just a little label on the back of your car. Not just a shirt that you wear sometimes. Jesus, we... we is he, is he really the Christ in your life? Is he really the son of God in your life? you gotta, you got to ask yourself this question. Because if he is, then the beauty of this is, and you've been hearing the gospel, and I pray that you hear the gospel every Sunday for the rest of your life that you are in Faith Doma Fellowship. If you do not hear the gospel every Sunday, I need deliverance. Glory to God. Whoever is preaching needs deliverance. Why? Because Paul said it clearly. I preach Christ and Christ crucified. That is what he preached. Because we all need to be constantly reminded Listen, it's not to walk with your head down. It's to look up to Jesus because he is your hope, because he is your salvation, because he is your deliverance. And so when he has this conversation with his disciples, he asks them, who do you say that I am? And what that declaration was, was, listen, I trust you for salvation, not myself. I realize that I can't save myself. I realize that you are the one that was promised. I realize that there is salvation, there is hope, there is deliverance only and solely in you. Do you believe that? If you believe that and you really say yes in your heart, then the next few messages that we'll preach are just going to stir you to serve him and bring him glory. Amen? Amen? Jesus goes on and he communicates to his disciples. After they make this declaration, we can look at verse 18. And he says, and I also say to you that you are Peter. 
And on this rock, not Peter, two different words used there. The word Peter, Petros, means a small stone. And the word rock over here, Petros, means a large foundational stone. And the rock that he's talking about, building his church upon, is himself. The revelation of who Jesus is, that is the rock that he's saying. That is what I'm going to build my church on. Peter is not big enough, strong enough in order for the church to be built upon his shoulders. As you'll see as you continue to read, Peter's the one who says, I'll die for you. And then like a few hours later, he's saying what? I don't know him. Thank you, Jesus, that you didn't build upon him. Hallelujah. (laughs) Glory to God. And so he says here, I will build my church. It's the first time that he uses the word church in the New Testament. And he says what he's going to do. He's going to build. Say, Jesus said he was going to build his church. So I want you to see two things. He takes ownership and responsibility. He says, I am going to build. So that means that it's not me who builds. It's not you who builds. It's him who builds. And he says that it is my church. It is not your church. It is not my church. It is his church. And so he says, I take ownership of this. I am the one who is going to declare this is my church, and I am going to build my church. When when we think of the church and you think about the word church, we must think outside of ourselves. And what I mean is you cannot just think of Faith Doma Fellowship as the only place you think about church. I hope that if this is your church, and when I say that, that this is the place you call your home church, that you think of this place as your church, that you pray for this place as your church, that you pray for the leaders here as your church, as part of the body that you are part of. But when you think of the church, the church is bigger than Faith Doma Fellowship. Amen. But here's what I don't want you to do, is I don't want you to think so big that you forget about us, but I want you to think about us bigger than what we are. Did you hear what I said? You see, I, I, I don't want you to just focus solely on faith, though, and just become so internalized that you forget that there's other parts of the body of Christ. But what I do want you to do is I want you to see faith, though, as part of something bigger and bigger than what we are today. Our greatest desire, our greatest desire, see what I'm saying is, is that we need to see the church from the perspective of God. The way that God sees the church, he sees the church globally, he sees the church around the nations, he sees the church locally, the church in cities and areas, and he sees the church as congregations. When you look at your Bible in the New Testament, this word ecclesia is used 114 times. 90 of those times, it is in reference to specific congregations. What does that tell me? That tells me that God is looking at the people of Faith Doma Fellowship. That tells me that God is watching us. God is paying attention to us. God is listening to our prayers or the lack thereof. God is looking at our efforts to reach those who don't know him or the lack thereof. God is looking at our devotion to being disciples, not just doing what disciples do, but being disciples. He's looking at that. Because what? Because he is in the process of doing what? Building his church. And we are part of his church. And so when we understand this, we get, a, we get a different perspective. And so what should our greatest desire be? Because I want you to know something. I'm going to make sure, I'm going to do my best to do this, is to, is to make sure that for the next four, week, I, or next four weeks that I drive home the importance of numbers. Mm-hmm. Glory to God. But I don't want numbers to become idols. See, we'll talk about that in a moment. But I want you to really get concerned. And there's one number I want you to be concerned with above all. Can I tell you what that number is? It's one. Reach one, always one. That's one number. That's the only number that I want you to be specifically concerned about. When you look around this congregation, this is what I want you to do. I want you to think about how many ones you can say I had part of them being here. How many ones you can say, I have part in their discipleship process in their life. That is what is so important. And the reason why it's so important for us to look at numbers, because I want you to know something. Numbers are obviously important because there is one whole book in the Bible called Numbers. It is, it is probably one of the most boring books of the Bible. Right? Because it would be like, oh, my goodness, Lord, can I, can I skip through this, you know, for my year? I, you know, I've read it like three times already. Can I not... All right, hands down, it's probably one of the most, you know, numbers and chronicles, be like chronicle, like glory to God, be like falling asleep while you're, I'm just saying, I'm not trying, listen, we just got to keep this real because some of y'all be acting like, you know, anyway, (laughs) 
I'm letting you know me. I don't know about you. I know when I get to those places, I'm like, glory to God. I'm like, this is some amazing inspiration. Hallelujah. Let me stand up so I can stay inspired. Hallelujah. And stay awake. But here's the thing. Numbers are important. Look at the book of Acts. It is a continual reminder of numbers. 3,000 people were saved. 5,000 people were saved. All these things were going on. It's a continual telling us about numbers because God is counting. Hello, somebody. God wants us to see. He doesn't want us to idolatrize numbers. He, he, he doesn't want us to look at numbers as though, you know, that, that, that's what we want to worship, right? Oh, I know I probably said that word wrong, glory to God. I got like six people look like looking at it. Is that right? Idolatrize? I don't know, glory to God. We'll see if it comes up on the screen one day. We'll look it up. Don't look it up now. Let's just move on. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Idolize. Hallelujah. There it is. Idolize. Praise the Lord Jesus. You, you can't put that on there because I corrected it. No, I'm just joking. Y'all put it up there, glory to God. Idolatrize. I like that one better anyway. I, 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 that one has more power to it, right? Amen. Glory to God. Praise the name of Jesus. But here is, here, here is the heart. The heart is our greatest desire should be what? Our greatest desire should be to exalt the name of Jesus, to extend the kingdom of Jesus, and expand in our work with and for the glory of Jesus. Let me say that again. Our greatest desire shouldn't be numbers to be a certain way, but it should be for us to exalt the name of Jesus, to extend the kingdom of Jesus, and to expand in our work with and for the glory of Jesus. Here's the question that we must ask ourselves, and it is this. Does the Lord Jesus want his church to grow numerically? That's a rhetorical question. Of course, he's building. Have you looked at the earth? I'm just saying, have you looked at the earth and its greatness? Now imagine while the earth is empty, you know what he tells Adam and Eve? Be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, subdue it. He was like, fill it up, glory to God. That's what he was saying. And so he says the same thing to us as a church. What do you mean? I'm going to talk about this in one of the, I don't know which, 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 which message I will. But John chapter 15, Jesus says that. I may not even pray, I'll just talk about it today. John chapter 15, what does Jesus say? What does he say? My father is glorified in what? By the fruit you bear. What that tells us? The same God in the book of Genesis that blessed Adam and Eve, told them be fruitful, multiply, replenish, and subdue. That same God is still glorified now through what? Our fruitfulness. By us making disciples. And so the question is, does he want his church to grow? But let's get more specific. Let's get more specific. Does he want Faith Doma Fellowship to grow numerically? Do you believe that? Because here's, here's what I want you to understand. This is the church, for those of you that this is your church, this is the church that you call home, right? Okay. So that means that we have a responsibility to do what? To reach one. Always one. That's our responsibility. Go ye therefore, make disciples. What does that mean? Bring people to Jesus. Hallelujah. So God didn't put us here, and I said this when we first moved into this place. I said, you know, God gave us a few extra chairs for what? To fill them. Hallelujah. He's like, okay, I got these seats for you. And pray. And you know what? I, I'm going to I, I, say this because I, I, Nelson Searcy, he said this. He's, he, he's, he's a guy that deals with churches and does coaching and stuff like that. And he said this. God wants his church to grow more than we do. Did you hear what I said? You and I can be the most ambitious people on planet earth. And our desire to see the church grow does nothing in comparison to God wanting his church to grow. There's a song, I don't know, I don't know the, the song is called Relentless, but God is a relentless pursuer of those who don't know him. Jesus made it crystal clear. He said what? I came to seek and to save that which was lost. So what that shows me that our God sends his son, God comes in the flesh to do what? To pursue us, to pursue lost humanity. And so it is very important for us to get that God wants his church to grow more than we do. As Pastor Robert prayed, we are privileged to be part of the mission that God is on. 
We are privileged to be part of the mission that God has called us on. The first thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. We must ensure that our building is upon the rock, for the rock, and by the rock. Can you smell what the rock is cooking? That's old. I know. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Just had to throw that in there. Praise the name of Jesus. Our building must be upon the rock. It must be for the rock. And it, may, it must be by the rock. Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church. So here's the thing. We cannot become overly consumed with numbers. But here's what happens. A plan to grow a church must be based upon the correct motives. What is the right motive? Jesus' fame and glory must always be the motive. Anything else is sand. It must always be about the fame and glory of Jesus. Not the fame of Jason. Not the fame of the elders of the church. Not the fame of our name, Faith Elma Fellowship. Man, they're rocking Florida. That has, that has nothing to do with bringing glory and honor to Jesus. See, that is the place that we have to come and we have to deal with the idols of our heart. It is on this point that the idols of our heart must be continually addressed through recognition, confession, and repentance. We must always come to the place. We went to a conference, the pastors and I, and when we went there, they were talking about numbers and counting. And it's funny because some of these pastors had the same issue that I had. In their initial days, they just didn't count because, you know, they were too holy to count. Oh, I don't care about numbers. We don't count anything. We're holy. And see, some of y'all have not been blessed with the opportunity to go to these pastor's meetings. And let me explain something to you. When you go to pastor's meetings, you know what you talk about? How big your church is. So when I'm in those meetings, I'm holy, glory to God. I don't know, I just preach the gospel. You guys are over there counting, you're crazy. Worried about numbers? Mm-hmm. Y'all need repentance. You want to know what that was? That was just false humility. And can I tell you what else it was? It was fear. You know, it's, it's, it's and, and I'll tell you straight up, because, you know, for me, you know, you try to, like, justify stuff. Like, God, you know, we don't want to be about numbers. We do want to be about numbers. You know why? Because we want to see as many people as possible come to know Jesus while we are doing what God has called us to do. So we better care about numbers. We need to care about how many people are we sharing the gospel with. We need to care about how many people are being discipled. We need to care about how many people are persevering in the faith. We need to care about how many people are loving Jesus and growing in a relationship. We need to care about those things. And so I can't, you know, I wouldn't talk about numbers, but I did count, glory to God. Of course I counted. I just never made it a big deal. And so, you know what, here's the thing, though. The thing was that when I started to look at, like, where we are right now, you know, the last couple of years, and I started thinking to myself, I'm like, wait a second. You know, I'm looking at, you know what I hear all the time? Whenever somebody comes and preach, I remember in our, in our one-year anniversary, Martha Munizzi, some of you may be familiar with her, before she blew up and everything like that, not saying that she wouldn't come here now, I'm just saying before she blew up and she was, you know, just like us, um, she was a little bit bigger than us um, in the sense that, you know, she had been traveling, you know, she went to like Lakewood and all that good stuff. So anyway, she came and she ministered in our church. And you want to know what her husband, who's the piano player, said? Now, mind you, I wasn't playing piano, so I don't know if he would have said this if I was playing piano at the time. But anyway, he said, you know what, you guys just have too much of an anointing to be in this place. You know how many years ago that was? That was nine years ago. You continue to hear ministers. They come into this place. You know what they say? You hear us talk. You know, Faith Home just got all this potential. Praise the name of Jesus. We're the church of potential. We're like the eighth church in the book of Revelation. Church of potential. But you guys don't count. And you guys just holy. <laughs> Glory to God. <laughs> Listen, I want you to know something. There is some good stuff up in this place. You know why it's good? Because it's Jesus. It's his anointing upon musicians, his anointing upon singers, his anointing upon families, his anointing upon preaching, his anointing upon teaching. You know what? We went and we, 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 went, we ministered at some, at some larger churches, and, and I'll, I'll blame Dawn for this one. And every time I get up on a big, like a big podium, you know, big platform, she's always like, that's just like so natural for you, right? She's saying, I can see you preaching up there. I'm like, glory to God. I can see me preaching up here too. 
Listen, but you know what? We start, this is what happens. <laughs> Glory to, this is what happens. You start to, you know, like say something like that, and all of a sudden people start thinking, oh, he's prideful. He thinks he needs to be up on a big pulpit. That's not true. That's not, listen, that's not true. Listen, what I, what I understand is that God, I, I want you to hear this. Two times in my life, in my life, I, I can't talk about anybody else's life in here. Two times in my life, two, two, two preachers came, didn't know me from Adam. And it's funny because one of them, it was like five years earlier, you know, before he became the youth pastor of this other church. But anyway, just to make the story short, I was standing in the back row at an altar call, and I was there wanting to get prayed for. And then, you know, I ended up praying for someone else. And I, have, I, I can't remember the color shirt on. I think I had a blue shirt on that day or whatever. And the preacher called me out, and I couldn't hear anything because our sound system was horrible at that time. So I couldn't hear what the preacher was saying, you in the blue shirt. So finally, they were like pointing at me, you know, and this was, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't a youth pastor. I was probably like maybe three years old in the Lord, something like that. And so as I'm standing, standing there in the back, he calls me to the front, and he's like, hey, you. He said, come here. And he began to prophesy with me, and he said, you know, I see you preaching to multitudes. I see you preaching to thousands and, you know, to different nationalities and all this and that. And I'm like, okay, well, praise God. I said, praise the Lord. That's all good. And I said, you know, I'm going to put that one on the shelf and, you know, test all prophecy and all that good stuff. I, not, that I, not that I didn't receive it, but, you know, I was just like, all right, glory to God. About five years later, I'm the youth pastor in the church, and there, we're, we're in an anniversary service or something like that. And I, and mind you, by this time, I, I don't think I had responded to an altar call in probably three years because I was always ministering on the altar, so I never responded to the altar call very rarely. So I come to the altar. My wife, I think, was next to me after the preaching, and I'm like a dummy. I don't even know how to act on the altar. I'm like, what do I do here? I'm like, I put my hands in my pocket or whatever. And, I, and, then, and then like after like three or four minutes being up there, I was like, just do what you tell everyone else to do. Just close your eyes, lift up your hands and worship. So I was like, praise the Lord Jesus. Got a breakthrough. So I went there and I forgot about the preacher. You know, as I'm there on the altar, this, this, this pastor, he says, and, and mind you, he, he doesn't know who I am at this, at this time. He's preaching, ministering, and he's going by like everybody that he's going up to, and he's giving them these powerful prophetic words. And he pauses in the middle of all of this, and he says, let me tell you something. I don't normally flow in this gift of prophecy that's flowing tonight. He says, so God must really want to speak to some people. Mind you, at this point, I'm just with my hands up. Yes, God, I love you, and I just respond to you. I want to serve you. And all of a sudden, he walks by me and starts laughing. I was like, oh, now, now you got, I got something on my face? I mean, what, you just got jokes? I mean, what, what's up, man? So he starts laughing, and he says, you know, he's saying this in Spanish. He says, you are the point of the spear. And he said, and God is going to launch you from this place. And he said, and I see you preaching in front of multitudes and multitudes of people. He said, different nationalities. And he says, but it's local. It's here. And see, that was always my heart for ministry. It was like, you know, because I, I believe in overseas missions, obviously. Hello, that's not something I don't believe in. But I also believe that Christians forget about the mission field in their backyard, across the street, in their work. They forget about that stuff. And so we think we're only doing something great for God if we go on a mission trip for a week. Did you hear what I just said? We do, a, we do a mission trip once a year, and we're doing great exploits for the Lord. Glory to God. Listen to me. He preaches this. He ministers to me and everything like that. And so as I'm going through this, I, I'm thinking, and I have these prophecies that I write down, and I see, and I'm like, okay, God, you have called me to do this. And so when I'm looking at when Sister Dawn's like, you know, this is normal. When I, I used to work, and I'll, I'll end this part of the testimony here, but... I used to work for Benny Hinn Ministries. I used to do security for him. And I would have the privilege of walking through the sanctuary on Sunday mornings, right? I mean, on Monday mornings after the Sunday service. And sometimes what they would do is they would leave the microphone, the lapel mic, on in the green room. And I found this out one day by accident because I touched it and I heard a, like I was in the back and I heard this. I was like, yeah, that mic is on. And I'm in my security uniform, right? And I'm going through the sanctuary. Now, mind you, that sanctuary sits like, you know, 2,200 people or something like that. You know what I used to do? Because I used to preach on Friday night to the youth. So on, so on Monday morning, you know what I used to do? I used to preach my Friday night message to the empty chairs in that place. I used to put the mic on, and I would get out there, and I would say, and thus says the Lord. And I'm yelling, and I'm, wait I'm waiting for one of my supervisors to walk by and be like, this boy done lost his mind. 
And listen, I'm not, I'm not one of those guys that's, you know, dressed like it. It, it, it. Nothing like that. I just felt called to do that. And I used to pray. I said, God, let me touch the nations like this. Let me be used by you to this degree. And so the point of the matter is that here's what happened to me. And the, and the reason I share all of this is because there was a great calling, not just upon me, but upon this body. There is a great calling upon all of us to be missionaries in the places where God has placed us. And here is the point that I want to make to you is that it was it's wrong of me not to point out the fact that we need to be concerned about where we are and what God is doing. Or should I say what God is waiting to do through us? Because what happens is this, you stop counting in the sense that, you know, I don't want to be all about numbers. And then you start forgetting that, man, God wants to reach many more people than what we've reached. And God wants to use, God doesn't just have us here just so y'all could hear me preach for an hour and then go, you know, go somewhere to eat and then be like, okay, I checked off my list of things to do. That's not it. God has called us to do what the Bible shows us, to turn our world upside down with the power of the gospel, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so here's what happens, though. This is for me, and I'll just say this for me. Pastor Chad, he shared these despicable text messages with me. And during this time, as as we were in the time of fasting and prayer, he shared these text messages. They were just nasty, just mean-spirited text messages. And someone asked a question. And mind you, God had already been dealing with me, Pastor Robert, Pastor Chad, and myself. We actually went, and um, we, were, we were here, and we had Pastor Dan Holland come because, you know, we want to grow in the area of eldership and, you know, de- developing the eldership team of this church. And so as we're in this meeting, um, I, went, I met with Dan Holland earlier, and he, and he began to show me this, this, like, diagram, and he drew a picture. And the picture, I'm just going to go like this. It starts here, and it goes like that, right? And so he says, ministry starts over here. He said, and in the front seat, he's like a bus type thing. He said, in the front seat, and you guys will see this because he's going to come back and he's going to do it for the whole church so you can actually get this whole teaching. And he said, in the front two, two seats is vision and relationship. Ministry always starts with vision and relationship. What did Jesus do with his disciples? Come follow me. Vision, follow me. Relationship, be with me. Come follow me. So vision, relationship. Then in the back seat, there has to be structure and ministries. Right? As long as it's like that, ministry continues to go like this. But when structure and ministry take the front seat, guess what happens? That's when ministries die. And can I tell you where we are right now in this whole little thing here? We are right here. We either get vision in the front seat or we continue with the, you know, neat nicks that want perfect structure, no mistakes in the front seat, and we'll die. Listen, it's not that structure's not important. I, I, use, the, I use the analogy Dan Holland said. He said, when you, if you ever see your skeleton, you know you're in trouble. Like when you break a bone and it pops out of your arm, you know you're, there, there's a problem. There's an issue. You should not see your bones. Hello. You, you, you shouldn't see the, you know, the indentation of your bones. They should be muscles in that six-pack. Hello, somebody. Your, your hip bones shouldn't be poking out. That's, that's a little bit too thin. Hello, glory to God. But the point is, this is what happens. When you have structure, right, and you have ministry in the front seat, you know what you're doing? You're just showing the skeleton. That's all you're doing. It's not about the muscle. It's not about the vision. It's not about relationship. And so when Dan Holland said that to me, the Holy Spirit started to, like, kind of smack me up a little bit. Like, boy, you better start preaching the vision that God has given you. And this is the vision. The vision is Matthew 28. The vision is not something great. I'm telling you prophetic word. That's not vision. Vision is scripture. Vision is the gospel. Vision is what we've been talking about these last few weeks. But then I'll go back to the story with Pastor Chad. So after I talked to Dan Holland, Pastor Chad shares these text messages with me, and somebody nasty said this. And I'm going to tell you what they said because I hope that it hurts you the way that it hurt me, but that it brings you into prayer the way that it did for me as well. And so this person basically said this, said, so how is Faith Dome doing? And he's like, well, we're doing good, whatever, whatever. And he says, so how y'all doing numerically? Y'all growing? And so Pastor Chad graciously responds and says, well, we're growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. He said, that's growth, isn't it? The person said, no, I'm talking about numbers. Are you growing in numbers? 
And so, you know, Pastor Chad is like, dude, you know, we trust in God and, you know, we have faith and whatever. And he's like, oh, you know what the problem is? The problem is y'all just don't have no vision over there. And I knew that church would never grow. Now, listen, I want you to understand something. That was God using the devil. <laughs> listen, that was a demonic thing. You know, you know, you don't, you don't go asking someone that. And I mean, and I could get more like into the whole thing. And you know, I mean, they just, I, I mean, I won't say any more. But let me just let you know, it was nasty. I was, I felt bad for Pastor Chad. I'm like, listen, you need to just give me that person's number. Let me talk to them. Glory to God. <laughs> but you know, the Lord used Pastor Chad to deflect that stuff from me. But ultimately, here is the point that I want that that, that I want you to get is that we need to understand what God has called us to do. We need to understand that God, it's not about numbers, and this is why our hearts need to be checked. Because you know what? Let me tell you this right now. I could care less. Hear what I'm saying. I could care less about anyone's opinion of this church except Jesus. I don't care what anybody has to say negative about Faith Dome. You know what I've learned? You need to let your critics become your coaches. Let those people that want to criticize you, let them become your coaches. Let them be the ones that God uses, even though it's the devil. Hello. And I'm just saying, you just got to call the spirit a spirit. Praise the Lord. You'll be all right. Listen to what those critics are saying. Is there any truth in it? All right, let's get to step. And I don't need to be worrying about all of that craziness. I don't need to worry about the spirit in that. And so what I did was I said, you know what, God, you've been speaking to me about vision. So you use the devil to confirm that I need to preach vision. Glory to God. And so my heart of repentance before you is that I don't get on y'all more. Glory to God. And what I mean by that is that I don't remind you enough. Listen, there are people that need to hear the gospel. And when you look around this church, I don't have you look around so you get discouraged. I mean, today it looks decent in here. How many people are in here? See, 73, today's like a good day. You're like, praise the Lord, we're looking good today. You're right, we look good today. But let me, let, let, let me, let me give you some averages because I'm going to talk to you about averages in a little bit. But there's some averages. Last year, I want you to know the adult averages, the, the adult average in Faith Doma Fellowship for 2011. You know what it was? 66.9 people. Adults. We're not talking about kids. We're talking about adults. That was the average for 2011. You know what the average for 2012 has been so far in the month of January? 61.5. So we have like a half a person around here somewhere. I don't know. I, I'm like, how do these numbers come out like that? Glory to God. But ultimately, the point of the matter is that we need to see. Like today, we look. It, it looks good, but there's still. But look around. There's still seats. There's still people that you forgot to invite. Can I give you one statistic and I'll move on to the next point? Here's one of the statistics. Most people, like 80% of people, you know why they've never come to a church? Because they've never been invited. It's that easy? Yes. It's that easy. Invitation. Inviting someone to, talking to someone about, hey man, you want to come visit my church? You got a lot of people that are, have questions, glory to God, right? So they may come. And you know what our responsibility is? Let me say it. Make a stink about the visitors, church. Hello? Don't stink. Take a shower on Sunday morning. Make sure you smell right when you come into the house of the Lord. What I'm saying is, get out of your seat. Give a visitor a hug. Listen, if you're visiting with us, I appreciate you being here today. Glory to God. As a matter of fact, I'm going to say one more thing, and I'll move on to my next point. Mark Driscoll says this about his church. He says this to his people. He said, this church is for the people who are not here. You know what our problem is? We think this church is for us. Oh, that's my seat. That's where I sit every Sunday. Really? Really? Huh. This church, we need to have that mindset. 
That this church is not for me. It's for me to fill with souls so we can do what? So we can continue to exalt Jesus. So we can continue to bring glory to his name. So we can continue to extend the work that God has called us to do as his children. Amen? We are called to reflect Christ and radiate his love and power. But we will never do this if we are not first saturated in him, transformed by him, and being delivered daily from our sinfulness and our selfishness through the power of the gospel. Listen, our greatest desire is to do what? Is to understand that Jesus is the rock upon which the church is built. He is the rock that is building the church in us. And so we must be coming to him on a daily basis, allowing our lives to be transformed by him. So that way we can be vessels and we can be agents of transformation within our community wherever God has us. Our faithfulness to the gospel, listen to this, our faithfulness to the gospel is what matters. Numeric growth is a byproduct of our gospel faithfulness. If we simply focus upon numbers, we will end up solely inviting people to be part of a church instead of inviting them to be reconciled to God. Listen, what happens is this, when we are faithful to the gospel, when we are faithful in our lives, and notice I didn't say my faithfulness with the gospel, it is our collective faithfulness with the gospel, because it is not just my job or the elder's job to bring people to Jesus, it is our job to bring people to Jesus, and when we are faithful with the gospel, and I don't just mean preaching the gospel verbally, I mean living the gospel daily, when we are faithful, being witnesses and testimonies of who God is, what happens is numbers come. Why? Because God is building his church and he's found a people that who will be faithful to what he's called them to do. Be faithful with the gospel. The opposite is also true. When you don't see numbers, then there's a lack of fidelity with the gospel. You know why? Because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And let me say it like this, the reason why the United States of America specifically has so many people who declare themselves to be Christians, but their lives do not look like it at all, is because of one thing, gospel infidelity. Say the second thing with me. We must follow the pattern or the blueprint that is left for us by faith that the same builder is still building today. The book of Acts, 28 chapters, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is what? It's a blueprint for us to follow. Isn't that awesome? God gives us a blueprint to follow. You don't got to go get a blueprint anywhere else. You don't got to go and structure after this or structure. Just look at what the Bible teaches, and then you know what you do? You find good teachers that are structured the same way, and guess what? You follow structure like that. That's all you do. You don't try to go and make something else happen. You look at what's found in the book of Acts. What do we see in the church? We see the church being built by Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit using ordinary men and ordinary women. And so the first thing Jesus says, look at what he says in verse 18. He says, and I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. So what do we see? We see a church that is overcoming the powers of the enemy that are operating within their society, within their culture. That's what we see throughout the book of Acts. We see a church that is empowered by the Holy Spirit, that is excited about the gospel, that is moving forward on mission and doing what God has called them to do. And so what happens? Cities are entirely turned upside down. The, 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 all of Jerusalem, the church was there, and all of a sudden persecution came. The church scattered, and it wasn't like the church became weak. When the church scattered, you know what happened? It became stronger. The Bible tells us throughout the book of Acts, what we find is that the word of God spread. We find that God added to his church daily. We find that the church scattered and grew. And how it grew, it was by the supernatural, say supernatural, power of God. It grew by the supernatural power of God. It didn't grow because of great organization. It didn't grow because of great planning. It didn't grow because of great programming. Hello. It grew because of what? The supernatural power of God. And as a result of the growth, they had to organize better. See the book of Acts chapter 6? Widows weren't getting where they were supposed to be getting. They needed some organization. They got some deacons on the job. Hello. 
The organization, as church grows, organization continues to grow. Planning continues to become more necessary. Programming is something. That, but, it, but listen, you don't grow a church because of your organization and because of your planning. And be, no, 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 no. Because you know what? There's one person who builds a church. Who is it? Jesus is the builder of the church. And so we have to have that mindset. The question for us is do we believe and desire the same thing for Faith Doma Fellowship? That's the question. Do we believe that what we see in the book of Acts can happen today? Listen, and, like, and, I, and I'll join Pastor Robert on what he says all the time. I'm not necessarily talking about signs and wonders. I'm talking about lives being changed. I'm talking about people coming to know Jesus. I'm, I'm, I'm all for signs and wonders. Hello, somebody. I'm all for the power of the Holy Spirit moving because when you see stuff that, like, 3,000 people got saved, you want to know what brought those 3,000 people together? It was the sound of a mighty rushing wind. It was these tongues of fire. It was these people speaking in tongues, and they sounded crazy to everyone else. That drew everyone's attention, and then the gospel was preached, and 3,000 of them converted. It was a supernatural manifestation that drew people. And so, listen, what I'm saying is the first thing we got to do, church, is we need to become devoted 100%. And I'm going to preach on this in a couple of weeks to praying down the power of God in the earth today. Not just a month of prayer, not just one day of fasting. I'm talking about a daily pursuit of God. Understanding, God, we are not going to see what you want to do. We are not going to experience what you can manifest if we are not devoted to prayer and crying out to you on a daily. Not just when we come together collectively or corporately, but on our faces, united in the spirit, crying out to God. I talked about this months ago, and I, and I wonder how many of you have continued this because I know some of you started. But I talked about these prayer altars being developed in our homes. First of all, I wonder how many of you actually started them. If you didn't, my goodness, you need to repent. But the second thing I wonder is how many of you have continued in that? How many of you had these prayer altars for more than a month? More than two months. Or beyond when it got difficult because schedules changed. See, all of those things become important questions, but I'll talk more about that in a couple of weeks, praise the Lord. You get a whole message on that. But this is what Jesus shows us in Scripture. This is what the Bible shows us. We need the supernatural power of God. And so you know what will happen? Here's what will happen. Some of you will say, yes, I believe that, and I want that for faith on a fellowship, but I like the church being small. You know how many people I've had conversations, and let me tell you something, I, if... if if you are in this place today and you've said that to me, please know I'm not singling you out in any way, shape, or form. I am not because you are, you are not the only one. You know how many people have come to this church and be like, I just love this church because it's small, and I want to just tell them, okay, but what happens when it grows? Are you going to leave? Because I want you to stay even when it grows. I want you to help us grow smaller as we get bigger. What do you mean, Bishop? Well, that's what small groups are about. You have to grow smaller as you get bigger or else you lose community. You lose what you love, which is, hey, I know you, I know you. You lose that. And so, listen, if you're here because you love this small church, praise the Lord, you're at, you're at a good foundational place because, like I said, we're right there. That, this is a good foundation. I'm glad. I, please don't leave. Praise the Lord Jesus. Catch the vision and start reaching one. That's what I'm saying. Discipleship. So doing that. So what happens is some people will say, I want that, but man, I like my seat. <laughs> I want that, but I, I really like, you know, to be able to call up Bishop anytime and talk to him. See, I only got one person laughing right now because the rest of y'all are like, yeah, I do like that. Uh-huh, that's because I'm talking to you. <laughs> yeah. I, li I, I like to be, you see, there's certain things that we like in this small. It, listen, I'm not Jesus. Don't say amen too loud. I'm just joking. Say it real loud. Say amen. Glory to God. I'm not Jesus. None of the leaders are Jesus. None of us have a superior anointing. Jesus is the anointed one. If you know Jesus, you have that anointing. Hallelujah. And so some of us, you know, but, but I like it small. You know, I, I like to be able to, you know, I like my parking spot. Got a little shady spot. I make it here right at this time. I know I'm a little late, but boom. It's there. Angel's not telling me where to park because he's inside already. Right? I love you, Angel. That's our parkologist right there. Praise the Lord Jesus. 
Y'all don't, y'all don't run him over, man, and pay attention to him. He's trying to keep order, all right? He's trying to make room for growth, amen? I li- but I like those things. So we want to stay. And listen, what I'm saying is this. Gently, I'm saying, please, repent of that mindset. As a matter of fact, you know, let me help you. I want you to purpose in your heart every week to sit somewhere different. But Bishop, I like my spot. Listen, it is not your spot. Go sit somewhere else. You've sat in that seat long enough. Go wear out another seat. Glory to God. Listen, what I'm saying, sit somewhere else. Confuse me. Because I'll be looking around, boom, 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 boom. I know where y'all at. I know, you know how I know you're missing because I don't, I know where you sit. Just, just mess me all up next Sunday. Just be like, boom, where's the church? Glory to God. We got a bunch of visitors. No, it said everybody moved on me. Listen, we have to have repentant hearts, man. Be like, I don't want to think like this anymore. I I don't want to, I don't want to have this mindset anymore. Park somewhere different. Praise the Lord. Get here early. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. That's a good one. Get here early. Praise the Lord. Y'all, 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 glory to God. Some of us will say, yes, I want that, but God doesn't work like that today. Really? He doesn't work like that today? So you got a new God. If he, don't look, if he doesn't work like that today, then that means he's different. And that's not the God of the Bible. We're different. We're fearful. We're fearful. I'm going to talk about the fear of the Lord in a couple of months, too. I am. I'm, I'm, listen, while I was praying and fasting, I got like the whole year lined up for y'all. <laughs> y'all thought I was just taking a break. Listen, when I take a break, I'm seeking God's face for y'all. I'm like, what do you want to hear? What, what, what do you want your people to hear? And so I got some lined up messages I'm excited about, praise the Lord. <laughs> but listen, oh, yeah, I, I, don't know, I don't know if God, you know, I don't know if he works like that. I, I don't know if, you know, he's, he's still doing those things. We need to repent. Again, you need to repent and ask him for, for, for forgiveness. Here, here, here's, here's the most famous one of all. The gospel was new to those people. Our culture is very obstinate towards Christianity. Okay. Can I tell you something? Do you know how many people right now have never even been to a church? Right in the United States of America. Especially for your youth. Listen, I hope your youth are not sleeping because y'all are supposed to be on mission too. Because you are the church. We're not waiting for you to become the church. We're not waiting for you to get to 21 and then you're like legalized Christians. Now you can get drunk in the Holy Ghost. I, you know, no. I don't believe in that anywhere. I've just said that just because it just came out. But listen. I don't know where the Bible says you get drunk. And anyway, let's move on. That's another series. No, I'm just joking. I just thought about that one now. But listen. We're not waiting for you to turn 21 and then you can get on fire for Jesus. I think the book of Ecclesiastes tells you you need to, like, serve him now while you're young. Hallelujah. Right? Honor him, right? Young people in this place, high school, college, oh, y'all got the most intense mission field. They need need some young person to just get on fire for Jesus, seriously. They need some young person that would really just get broken before God and be like, you know what, I'm going to turn my school upside down with the gospel. And you know what? People are going to not like you, and that's okay. But the ones that need to be saved, they're going to hear you. And they're going to be transformed. But listen, don't just get crazy trying to flip tables over. <laughs> don't get like Jesus, be like, I'm flipping these tables over. Y'all are a bunch of... No, don't, don't, that, that's, that's not the flipping upside down I'm talking about. I'm talking about living a life all out for Jesus. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about every opportunity. And I'm not talking about becoming some religious fanatic that is just crazy, that can't talk about anything other than Jesus. Because can I say something? And this, y'all religious folk are about to get offended. But people, we will never be able to impact people's lives if we can only talk about Jesus. Can, can can, Can you talk about the Super Bowl? I'm just saying. I know, I'm like Pastor Robert, it's just another day. I'm going to watch it anyway, but, you know, who am I rooting for? 
It depends on whose house I'm in, you know. <laughs> I really care less. I really don't care. I'm just going for the Giants right now because I'm in this house. So, <laughs> But when I go to Raphael's house, I'm going for the Patriots, glory to God. <laughs> See, they're, they're a house divided right now because one of them is from New York. <laughs> glory to God. Listen, ultimately, it is about living a lifestyle that brings glory and honor to Jesus. Because if you can't just have a regular conversation and then segue to Jesus, say segue. So you got to learn to segue, glory to God. Don't just get stuck on the Super Bowl. You got to bring it back to the real champion. Hmm. <laughs> glory to God. I love you guys today. Y'all just making, making my job easy, praise the Lord Jesus. Listen, I want you to understand something. The gospel is new to everybody that hears it for the first time. And there are plenty of people that have never heard the gospel. Listen to me. There's a book, Whatever Happened to the Gospel, it's written about churches. They did a survey in churches. How many pastors actually preach the gospel? And can I tell you something? There are plenty of people who have been in church all their life, never heard the gospel. Because we're more concerned with giving you 10 points to a good this and five points to a better this and 10 points and, and we're gonna give you some principles and yeah, but we don't preach the gospel. <laughs> so we're not preaching. So here's what I'm saying. Even people who say, yeah, I go to church. Well, let's talk about the gospel. Because you will be surprised. And then here, don't, don't, let, let me say this. I know y'all don't want to hear this either. When you preach the gospel to them and they realize they need Jesus, I want you to send them back to the church that they are attending. Y'all don't want to hear that. I know. You're like, but Bishop, I want to reach one. That's right. Reach one and send them back to that church so they can preach the gospel to that church. Listen, if they're begging you, like, listen, I want to come to your church, then bring them. But first step, listen, you have a church? Now you got to find out, do they have a church? Like, I've been attending this church for 20 years. Go back. You know, like, yeah, I, I grew up there. I don't go there. Okay, come to Faith Dome. But that, that's, you know, differentiate. <laughs> don't send some person to a church that they don't attend. Be like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go back to my church. Yeah, they're going to their church on the couch on Sunday. <laughs> the gospel. Third thing, repeat this after me. We must take practical steps that are bathed in prayer, rooted in Scripture, and empowered by the Holy Spirit as missionaries, not just Christians. As Christians, we have all been called to be missionaries. That is what a disciple is. Let me say that again. As Christians... We have all been called to be missionaries. That is what a disciple is. If you say you love Jesus, you know what that means? That means that you should be connected with Jesus on the mission that he's on. That's the bottom line. We should be on mission with. If I am a disciple, I cannot be a disciple if I am not making disciples. And listen to me. You cannot make disciples if you're not telling people about Jesus. That's the bottom line. And so the way that we become missionaries is this, is that we begin to study the culture around us. And what I mean by the culture is I don't mean you need to go buy a book. Listen, you grew up in the United States of America. Hello. But I want you to think for a moment to those people who actually give their life to be missionaries. Most of the time when these people give their life to be missionaries, what they do is they go into a culture that they're unfamiliar with. And when they go into that culture, they may learn the language or they have somebody who can translate for them. They definitely have to learn the customs because if they walk in there just offending everybody, they're never going to win anybody to Jesus. So they have to understand certain customs. So, for example, if someone was going like to an Asian place, they would learn the custom. When you walk into someone's house, you take your shoes off. That would mean you would have to think, right, hindsight. I need to wash my feet before I walk into someone's house because I may take my shoes off and offend them more than keeping them on. <laughs> right? I mean, you got to. So ultimately, they learn the custom. They learn what things are, you know, politically correct. And then what they do is they bring the gospel full force. 
They don't change the message, but they learn the customs. They learn the culture, and then they influence the culture. They don't try to push the culture backwards. They don't try to push the culture to the way that they don't try to Americanize those people. What they do is they bring the gospel to them, and then they make the gospel applicable in their situation. That's what they do. They show how applicable the gospel is to their lives. And then they teach people to live out. That is what missionaries do. And can I tell you something as a church? And this is going to be so horrible. But as a church, we forget that we're on mission and we become so holy that we're horrible missionaries. I heard somebody say this in one of the books that I was reading. He said, Christians need to repent of forgetting how to party. I was like, Bishop, you're being a liberal. I am not a liberal, glory to God. I'm going to say, y'all, y'all can't even laugh sometimes, praise the Lord. It doesn't mean you laugh at dirty stuff. It's that you learn how to have a sense of humor. Hello. You learn to laugh. I mean, you know, just I, glory to God. Used to be able to have fun. Now you're just like the most boring person on planet Earth. I'm serious, man. We, I mean, do, 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 you like, do you like enjoy your life? Do you have fun? Because I'm going to tell you right now. If we, if, we can't, if we can't have relationship with people, we're going to have problems reaching them. In the same book that I was reading, he, was, he said, you know, he was, he was talking about going and knocking on doors. It's a book called Community. Y'all are going to read it too, so don't worry about it. You're going to get all of it. Um, but in this, in this book, he talked about, you know, people going and knocking on doors and, you know, sharing the gospel. And I'm not opposed to that. Let me just say this clearly up front. I'm not opposed to that at all. We want to knock on doors, you can knock on doors, or that's how the Holy Spirit has led you. But you want to know what they find? They find that most people find that to be rude. So you're already starting off on a bad foot. Did you hear me? So what does that mean? Do I not knock on doors? You do what the Holy Spirit leads you to do. That's what you do. But you don't say that this has to be the way that we do it all for everybody. That's what you don't do. What we have to do is we have to make sure that we are faithful with what? The gospel. Not a method of sharing it. We are faithful with the gospel. And we are faithful with sharing the gospel. And so let me just say this. I know y'all are still stuck on the place where y'all forgot to party. I am not telling y'all to become party animals. All right? I know some of y'all are like, man, Bishop, you're getting crazy. I'm not telling telling y'all to go get drunk. The Bible is against that. I'm not telling y'all to go get freaky. The Bible is against that. Outside of marriage, you and your wife, anyway, leave that there. Praise the Lord. Mm Mm-hmm. Praise the Lord Jesus. We need to study our culture to do what? To infiltrate our society. And here's what I want you to understand. While the gospel will never lose its relevance, and I, and I want you to look at the last verse here, because in verse 18, he talks about him being the rock. He talks about the gates of hell or the gates of Hades not prevailing against the church. In verse 19, he says, and I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And so what is he saying to his disciples? He's saying, I'm going to give you this authority in order to bring the manifestation of heaven and the earth. That's what he says. He says, I'm going to give you this authority to bring the manifestation of the power of God into the earth. I'm going to give you this authority to do this. And he goes and he tells them, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And y'all that have been here for a while, you know that when you look at that scripture, this is not specifically talking about prayer and binding and loosing in prayer. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about those things that God has already ordained in heaven, those are the things that we should ordain in the earth. The things that God is already opposed to in heaven, those are the things that we should oppose in the earth. Because if we want to see the manifestation of the kingdom of God in this earth, 